Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next episode of my Save Bet show. And it's a great pleasure and privilege to welcome my today's guest, America's preeminent, the preeminent, the leading gambling lobbyist, the man I'm privileged to call a friend, and arguably following the dismissal of Joe Judge, New York Giants' biggest fan alive, Mr. Bill Pasquale III. Bill, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Martin. I'm honored to be here with you. It's great to have you. And, well, every time I think about the state of New Jersey, I believe you're the perfect representative for a number of reasons. But let me start with talking about the fact that you hail from a leading Jersey political family. Your dad's a congressman. You've advised a number of leading politicians of this country, including John Kerry. So do you mind telling me what it was like growing up in your family? And was that an incentive for you to take a real liking in politics? It sure, sure was. Uh, let me just say at the outset, although you're the moderator and the boss, I have to set ground rules. There's no more talk about the New York Giants, please, for the, for the next 40 minutes. I'm happy to respect <laughs> thank that. You, it, thank it you. It might be difficult, but I'm glad we, you're the we, guest, so I'll respect that. I'm, I'm glad we can reach an agreement there. Um, yeah, look, uh, my dad's a school teacher. Uh, uh, that's what he was for many years of his life. Uh, so he was a bit of a public servant. I consider school teachers public servants. Um, and then late in life, he ran for multiple offices, state legislature, the mayor of the third largest city uh, for eight years. And um, he had never uh, really had a goal of being a member of Congress. He was a good chief executive. Uh, oftentimes considered about running for governor, but he, he finally ran 30 years ago for Congress, beat an incumbent Republican uh, who happens to be a judge now, federal judge. Um, and look, uh, he's inspired me. Um, I didn't come from a, a background of uh, affluence. Uh, we're, we're, we're essentially uh, from a, my, my brothers and I are from a blue collar family. My dad still lives in Patterson, New Jersey, <laughs> and what we call the hood. Um, he's a minority in that community. Um, uh, and so, you know, the, the experiences I've had over time running his campaigns, being involved in uh, multiple campaigns from Bill Clinton to John Kerry, uh, to Hillary Clinton, uh, to Barack Obama, uh, Senator Menendez, Senator Corzine, that's all inspired me to get more involved in government affairs. And I joined my firm Essentially, uh, it'll be 30 years in two weeks. I and think. if you were to get one piece of advice to our audience today as to how lobbying, for want of better expression, is meant to be done, what's the key thing? What's the key ingredient of success when anybody chooses to walk the corridors of power? Well, well I believe... Um, I'd say there's two keys. One is if you don't believe that it's important to learn something new every day, no matter how old you are, if you think you have all the answers, lobbying's not for you. Number two, it's a relationship business. So I am by far not the smartest or brightest ship in the port, but I work my butt off and I make up for that lack of uh, intelligence, if you will. Um, you have to like people. I remember the moment I met you, and it was essentially a conference call because it was pre-COVID and no Zoom. We developed a relationship, and 
within relatively a short period of time, I found myself in Sao Paulo, Brazil at your wedding, which, <laughs> but, but that's what drives me. At this stage of my life, 57 years old, um, I, I am not the richest guy in the world by far. I'm living comfortably. I'm happy, financially secure. But what drives me is people and challenges. So if you like people, you have a real good chance to be successful lobbying. But lobbying is not something to be learned in a classroom or a book. I can't agree more. I would say you're being way too harsh on yourself. Let's move on to the next topic, which is sports betting in the United States. And there's no doubt that uh, you've been one of the founding fathers, if I may use that expression, and one of the key people behind bringing sports betting to the United States. Although that particular story, it has become matter of legends, but at the same time, it's sort of shrouded in mystery because a lot of people perhaps would claim that it would have been them who made it all happen. So of course, the 14th of May, 2018, a momentous day in the history of our industry. Where were you? How did you feel? And tell us the story about how sports betting happened in the United States. Um, we'll start from the more recent uh, Martin, thank you for the question. Um, May 14th, 2018, I was in Trenton, New Jersey, lobbying in the hallways of the state legislature and got the uh, message when the court announced and was jubilant. Uh, finished work that day and celebrated uh, like a rock star uh, with Senator Lesnack. Um, you know, it's what I like about my job is even though I am a yellow dog Democrat, meaning a moderate Democrat, I'm not a left wing and I'm certainly not a right wing, but I'm a moderate Democrat. Uh, I believe in reasonable tax policy and, and social responsibility. But, you know, what's frustrating for me, and I've learned a long time ago, you want to get something done, do it, but make it somebody's outside, somebody else's idea. Um, 10 years ago, maybe perhaps 10 and a half, Governor Christie, um, actually it's 12 years ago now to the day, uh, Governor Christie beat John Corazon. Uh, Governor Christie was a lobbyist, a lawyer lobbyist just like me. And um, he was US attorney. Uh, he's a smart man, very shrewd politician. And although his politics and mine are very different, uh, we bonded over gaming. I had no idea, even though I was a brick and mortar casino lobbyist, what sports betting and online gaming meant. So the first thing I did, work with a company you're very familiar with is uh, Betfair and, and got exchange wagering done in horse racing. That was my first real success outside of brick and mortar casino regulations and legislation. I do owe something uh, to this gentleman and I honor him every day because if it were not for him, I would not be in this position today with gaming. And that's Joe Brennan, who founded a company called iMega, an organization, Interactive Media Entertainment Gaming Association, made up of 37 offshore illegal books. At that I, point. At that point. <laughs> and I had to get uh, legal counsel to review whether I could represent them or not. They deserve the credit and the impetus along with Joe's genius to launch and try to regulate. And it was Joe's question to me 
right in the middle of the governor's race in 2009, when Corzine was the incumbent governor and Christie was running in the bluest of states as a Republican. And he said, I want to hire you to do exchange wagering, um, online gaming. And I said to Martin and everybody last when I said this today, but it's true. What, what's online gaming? I didn't even know what it was. No state in the nation had it at the time. And then sports betting. I said, let me just go to Vegas. We can do sports betting. I can bet on a corner in my, my local bookie. No, no, we want to legalize, regulate, and legitimize sports betting. I will tell you this. Every brick-and-mortar casino who I had as clients when I got into this three or four months into it fired me. They did not want sports betting, and they did not want online gaming. Fast forward to today. If it wasn't for those two things, most of your brick-and-mortar casinos would have closed on COVID permanently. They were concerned about cannibalization, legitimate concern. But what I said in a Senate gaming committee hearing, where the committee was not totally embracing of online gaming, this is pre-sports betting. I said, look, we all have wonderful kitchens with refrigerators and stoves, and yet we still go out to dinner. And why is that? Because we're social animals. We will always be social animals. And now with the pent-up demand to get out because of COVID, that is being proven and is, I think, axiomatic now. What I find frustrating, but you can't let your ego get away in this business because you won't be successful, is all the organizations, and I'll be polite because this is your show and a part of the Entain brand. I won't be disrespectful, but there are those who were deathly against and deadly against online gaming and sports betting who are now taking credit for it today. You know what? God bless because it helps move the industry forward. That's what it's all about. I'm more than happy for you to exercise your God-given First Amendment, <laughs> Amendment rights, of course. And it's very clear that we've all been learning a lot, including the, the two of us, very briefly, because we will then move on to talk about online gaming, yet another subject very close to, to your heart. What's your take on the current sports betting-related bonanza? 30 states have been regulated and counting. New York's just jumped on the bandwagon. We expect Louisiana to do the same very soon. There's even been movement in the states such as Massachusetts, California, even Texas. Ohio. So Ohio, of course. Where do you think the all this is going. How many states can we get at the end of the process, I suppose? We won't get the Utahs of this world, but could it be over 40? I, I think Utah and Hawaii are outliers <laughs> for, for obvious reasons. And for those who are watching the show, most of your audience knows this, but they don't have any gaming in those states. Um, and it's going to be hard to move the dial. Texas has no casinos, no, no, nothing other than a lottery and they do have horse racing. Texas is starting to talk earnestly with the leagues and the teams that have many great teams there to do a bill. The problem with Texas, and hopefully someday they'll revisit this, it's not my responsibility to do, it's the Texas Constitution. They meet biannually. So the entire year of 22, Martin, we can be working there, but nothing can happen. I think 30 states will soon be within two years, close to 40 and change, close to 40 and change. The, the big ones, as you know, uh, New York is now full blown launched. They have online too. 
great for sports betting. Florida, we have this little issue with the Seminole Pact and Governor DeSantis' approach to that. It's going to get sorted in one of two ways. It'll either go on a ballot or the circuit court will overrule the federal district court in terms of the interpretation of what's required under the Federal Indian Gaming Act. California is the first state, Martin, that I got involved in. Uh, back when uh, I was doing a little bit of advisory services for uh, IMGL. And Governor, uh, I'm sorry, Senator um, Rice had introduced a bill 20 years ago for online gaming. The bill hasn't even gotten out of committee yet. We're going to have a ballot referendum in, in California. That is obviously the crown jewel. It's the eighth largest economy in the world. But you'll permit me, I hope, to say I am very proud of the, the framework, the infrastructure that we created to launch this, the first state in the nation to do it, the leader, Governor Christie, Senator Lesniak, Joe Brennan, uh, myself, Dennis Drazen, and others who were very involved. And we have a lot of that battle scars to prove it. Jersey is now the third largest jurisdiction in the world, third to the UK and Germany. In just a few short years, that's remarkable. It's indeed incredibly impressive and actually a great segue into my next question, if I may, because besides sports betting, of course, the Garden State has been the trailblazer when it, and you touched upon it yourself, the trailblazer when it comes to online casino and online gaming as well. But let me ask a slightly different question about the topic. Why do you think online casino has been on a slow burner in this country? Is it because it has not generated as robust a narrative as sports betting? Only six states have regulated so far. Perhaps Illinois and Indiana will join the fray this year. Still to be, still to be seen. And if you believe that there is no strong narrative just yet, no hype around the leagues because I don't think they would be getting involved with casinos and online casino. How can we change that as an industry? Because it would be great to have online casino, ideally with states-wide liquidity across the nation. There's a couple of factors. Um, the biggest contribution, the three biggest contributions to the online industry, both online casino poker and sports betting. And I always say this, I preface it, was the, uh, the demise, the death, God rest his soul, of uh, Sheldon Adelson. Uh, Sheldon Adelson is a man I have respect for, but we have fought hard. He spent $3 million in an election to try to take my dad out because of me. He, is, he was deadly against online gaming for what I think were <clears throat> very irrational, not well thought out reasons, protecting his great grandkids and his grandkids. I have no doubt uh, that he went to his grave peacefully knowing that he was against this. I think DeSantis is now evolving with his departure. He hired numerous lobbyists throughout the country, was a big contributor of President Trump's campaign and was able to get this silly reinterpretation of the Wire Act, which as you know, controls how things are governed in the online space in terms of cross borders and all. 
We worked and lobbied the Obama administration at the request of Governor Christie because the first online gaming bill we passed, and it passed overwhelmingly, he vetoed because he was concerned as a former U.S. attorney about the Wire Act. Well, that Wire Act is going to be re-reinterpreted by Merrick Garland, hopefully soon. He's been a little bit preoccupied with a few other things, <laughs> uh, which we're not here to get into. But the election of Joe Biden from a very important state, even though small, which has embraced, like Jersey, early on online gaming. Joe's from Delaware, President Biden. And and the the sort of the third leg to this puzzle was the defeat of Donald Trump, who, interestingly enough, I used to represent when he was a casino owner, was hugely supportive of sports betting, but has never embraced online gaming. Now, I want to say this. I have nothing to gain by saying this, but what Governor Christie did leading up to a presidential run was very risky. For him to embrace sports betting and online gaming, a majority of conservative Republicans across the country are moving on that, but not, not back then when Christie did it, you know, eight years ago. What I think is going to happen, and you've started to see it, I went and had the privilege to meet Governor Tate Reeves. Now, Tate Reeves and I <coughs> are like oil and water, uh, blue skies and dark skies, black and white. He's a conservative Southern governor, Mississippi. I am a Northeast New England Democrat from New Jersey, but he is exploring online gaming and online sports betting in Mississippi. I think that the, the, the Republican Party, who's been such a captive of President Trump, and I'm not here to say whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, but it's axiomatic and truthful, I think they're feeling more comfortable about moving legislation. Look at what Governor DeSantis has done, who couldn't be closer to Donald Trump than any other Republican in the country. So I think that that's changed. The other thing that has slowed us down is, in addition to the politics, and I've always said with my European friends, Europeaners are the genius is, and the Israelis of the software programs and packages with online gaming because you've been doing it for decades. Certainly not America. But what Europeaners and a lot of Israelis don't appreciate is the importance of politics in America for gaming. So we've talked about that. The second piece is the sports betting excitement has taken a lot of air out of the room. So that's the focus. And I've always said, the industry in America is changing now, but five years ago, brick and mortar casinos, and I love them all, couldn't walk and chew gum. They couldn't handle multiple tasks, multiple pronged approach. We're now seeing iterations, as you know, of different innovations, esports, the entrance of cryptos, NFTs, and, and fixed odds horse racing, which has been going on in other parts of the world like Europe for a long time, but we don't have here yet. I suppose just like in Governor Reeves' case, it comes down to being pragmatic. I suppose we will also be eternally grateful to you for having stopped Trump stale, but let's not, let's not go there because we're not on this show to talk about that. Let's right. move on to the key topic of responsible gambling. In my view, once again, you've been one of the early evangelists, if I may put it that way, of responsible gambling. 
in the United States, having served on the Federal Affairs Committee of the NCPG. We're extremely privileged to have you as one of the trustees of, as, of the Entain Foundation US. So very briefly, could you tell me when it comes to responsible gambling or sustainable gambling, if you will, what is it you've been impressed with the most? And on the other hand, what's been sort of lacking and what does the industry need to do to step up further in terms of enhancing the level of protection of its customers? I will try to be brief and efficient, but this is a big, important question. First and foremost, my two oldest children, I have four kids, a six-year-old daughter, Aria, a 22-year-old daughter, Megan, a 26-year-old son, Christopher, and a 29-year-old son, Billy IV, who's now in the gaming industry for a, a public... As he would, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, they said to me years ago, my two boys, Dad, what in God's name are you involved with the National Council of Problem Gambling? I mean, you, you, you represent an industry that just promotes problem gambling. And I, that hit me. Uh, it was a gut check. I am very lucky and fortunate. Luck is the residue of hard work. And my hard work has made me very, very fortunate and lucky. To be a part of Entain's launch back then, GVC, to do a global, and I'm a part of the U.S. foundation, to proactively promote the importance of responsible gaming because that's a critical component of sustainable gaming. It's important for the industry. We don't want to have happen, and you know this because you're the leader in this and you received a huge global award just last month at the Plaza Hotel, or not the Plaza Hotel, where were we, Martin? Um, the Edison Ballroom. The Edison Ballroom, that's right. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why I love Mr. Bill Pascrell. <laughs> he does all the talking for me, and he always speaks of me very, very highly. Well, Carry on, please. It's, it's the truth. Uh, <laughs> you were recognized and honored along with the company for your leadership. I remember talking to folks in the PR industry and newspaper journalists who were like, what's the big deal? I said, tell me any time a gaming company without having a gun held to their head, has been proactive at promoting social responsibility and responsible gaming. Entain's doing this. And because of your leadership and Entain's commitment to this, you have other companies that are starting to jump in. Not in a way that some of your competitors have, which is sort of checking a box and throwing a few shekels at it. Years ago, in the brick-and-mortar industry, 20 years ago, do you know who the VIP customers were for the brick and mortar industry? Problem gamblers. That cannot be anymore. Indeed. So I believe that the way forward, if you were to agree, is to bring the industry together and raise the bar even further. If I may move on to our next topic, though, yet another one very close to your heart, another trailblazing opportunity for you, if you will, and that's Fix odds betting yeah. connected with horse racing. Because huge down under, huge in the UK. Yeah. So why on earth, if I may put it that way, why on earth it has taken America so long to adopt it? And again, thanks to, if I may pay back the compliment and thanks for it, it has taken your leadership and it has taken bet makers and again, enlightened people like Dennis Drazen 
to bring get to the United States. So what's the what's the story there? What will happen next? And do you believe that the likes of backmakers and fix odds batting will take this country by storm? Well, unfortunately, uh, at the World Gaming Executive Summit, which you unfortunately couldn't attend this year with me uh, because of other responsibilities and family commitments you had. Um, I was in Barcelona, summer of uh, 2019, July 4th week, and I met this- <laughs> Annoyingly. This big, you know, uh, bloke <laughs> from Australia who came up to me after a panel I did on the first year anniversary of US sports betting, particularly in New Jersey. Uh, and he flew there from Australia I've never represented any company or entity out of Australia in the U.S. And he hired me. Uh, three weeks later, he was in a Italian restaurant in New Jersey, and we were plotting it out. Um, it's astonishing, but it's not dissimilar to the casino, brick-and-mortar casino industry in America. I've done horse racing for about 12, 13 years now, Meadowlands, Monmouth Park, done some work with Freehold, done some work with Penn National. Um, horse racing is rich and vibrant. My father's father, Bill Pascrell Sr., God rest his soul, who was a trainman, worked for Erie Lackawanna, used to go to the track every Saturday, every Saturday. And I would go with him. He'd have his pipe and he'd go. And it was fun. <laughs> go to a track today. You see a bunch of 20 and 30 year olds. They're going to pick up a significant other or have a drink or listen to music. They're not betting on horses. Why is that? because the U.S. horse racing industry hasn't changed in almost 100 years. 1927, we used to have fixed odds horse racing from the inception till then. Then we introduced this pooled betting system, what's called the paramutual tote system, where your bet influences the tote. It's a pooled bet. It's not like you're betting against the house with fixed odds. And so America's never wanted it because the American horse race industry, which has so much rich, rich history, is antiquated. When a 25-year-old young guy puts $10 down for the Giants to beat the Eagles, and he could question his judgment on that, he expects that he's going to get a return on that bet, and the odds won't change what he gets. So when he puts $10 down on a horse at 7-1, and it wins, he's expecting 70 bucks. And he gets three and a half because the odds changed. Fixed odds horse racing will help do three things. It's going to help the books because the books need content. We saw that during the pandemic. Number two, it's going to save tracks, which are closing every month because tracks are passe. If they can't get video lottery terminals or, or one uh, 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 our bandits at the tracks, they end up closing because there's not enough business. Used to be a $17 billion a year business. Now it's hovering around 10 and a half and it's cannibalizing itself. The nervousness and the age of most of the major leaders in the industry doesn't, don't want change. Just like the brick and mortar casinos with online gaming. We managed to change that. New Jersey will be the first state in the nation to take a fixed odds bet this quarter, first quarter of 22 in New Jersey. And we're working in 14 other states to help trampoline that. I will honor my promise not to use the G word again. <laughs> I will most certainly have been left in arguably the home of horse racing in the UK for 12 years. No doubt. And also my hometown in the Czech Republic plays host to the most difficult steeplechase. 
race on the continent. I will most definitely be watching this space with a keen interest. I'm sure you and Betmakers and others who may want to get involved will make it a huge success. Before we wrap up, you've clearly demonstrated throughout the podcast that amongst many things, you also happen to be a huge sports fan. I will not hold you accountable. We will not talk about that team whose name should not be spoken <laughs> anymore. But if you were to predict how the seasons of the other, well, New Jersey, New York area teams will pan out. So how do you reckon the Devils, the Nets, the Yankees, if they do get to play, and the closest to your heart, Seton Hall, Pirates, how do you think their season will go? I'm going to go with the easiest. Um, my alma mater, you've been so generous to put major resources, not just money, but your thought, your intellectual property, and the Intain Foundation into Seton Hall Law School, where we launched a wonderful uh, gaming, responsible gaming, integrity, and compliance institute. We're now going to have our third boot camp in May. And everybody's invited. Yeah, absolutely. We'll want you there. Uh, we're trying to create jobs for U.S. citizens to get into the gaming industry online and sports betting, which there's a lot of experience in. Uh, a long-winded way of saying Seton Hall is my pride and joy. I love that institution. Uh, I've been a Seton Hall fan, even though I'm a Rutgers undergraduate, uh, for basketball since the moment I stepped in the corridors of my law school. Um, they're ranked 20th right now. They have a big game tonight, Martin. Um They, they went from beating uh, the number four team in the country and the number three team in the country. They had two significant losses by two points and three points to rank schools. They only had seven players because of COVID. So you can't quite compete at that level when you're not having your full complement. They've washed through the COVID experience. They've suffered through three weeks of that. The big part of the schedule is coming. They went from 24th to 20th. They're playing a big team uh, tonight and another big team this weekend. I think Seton Hall will be in the top 16 ranked in the sweet uh, 16. They'll be one of those teams, and I think they have a good chance to take it all. Now, the Devils, well, you're a hockey guy. I am not so much, although my two boys played hockey. I'm always a proud follower of the Devils. I think they'll do fine this year. I don't believe they'll win the Stanley Cup. The Yankees should have won last year. With the lockout pending, may be a bit of a challenge, but you can never count the Yankees out. And the Nets and the Knicks um, are just wonderful teams to watch. I don't believe either of them will be in the NBA Finals, but I think they'll be competitive in the playoffs. Um, and I will say this, so I'll go against my home rule. I think the Giants are going to be at least a 500 team next year. I believe that they can be. They get direct together, and if they get a decent coach, we should wish them all the best of luck. To wrap it all up, it's a, some people find it a tricky question. I don't think you will. I'm going to give you 60 seconds to convey any key messages you would love to convey to the podcast audience. So you've got your minute. Go for it, please. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. A pleasure to be here. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I don't think there's a more important issue than the industry coming together because there is no real industry association. There's been people who've attempted to. For this reason, responsible gaming is the biggest threat if ignored. 
to this industry. We don't call it often responsible gaming anymore. We call it sustainable gaming because without addressing problem gambling in a real way, not a 1-800 number on the screen, which is BS. It's got to be more than that. Somebody's got to be on the other line to pick up the phone and counsel people and then also move them towards therapy and other, you know, you can't cure alcoholism or drugism or problem gambling. It's not curable. It's got to be a vigilant approach to help those people with the mental health issues they're having. We all know that during a pandemic, problem gambling has, has peaked a little bit. Thank God for Entain and your leadership for contributing to that. And what I have to say is there are a lot of challenges about entry into the market, legislation, regulation. We're not careful. We're responsible gaming and do it in a meaningful, comprehensive way. This industry is not sustainable. Ladies and gentlemen, despite having widely differing sport allegiances, Bill and I are definitely singing from the same hymn sheet, if not hymn sheets, on pretty much everything else. So thank you very much for being here today. This was the one and only and the great Bill Pasquale III. My name is Martin Lechka, and this was my safe bet show. Take it easy and see you soon. Thanks, Martin. Thank you, Bill.